Let's read the whole reason for the reason. We'll start in 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Let the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and that the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working and the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, which he raised from the dead and seated at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Merciful King, just as the Apostle Paul prayed for the saints at the writing of this letter, I pray that our eyes of our hearts may be enlightened and we will know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glory, and that, Father, we give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Father, help us to understand. Help us to be overwhelmed. Help us to praise, alleluia, to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Overwhelm us, Father. Overwhelm us. To you, my Lord, my Savior, my God, in Christ's name, amen. I started moving into this, and I wanted to make sure that people were paying attention. So there will be a test after the message. No, just kidding. (laughs) Easy, easy. I didn't bring a pencil. When you are looking at Scripture, and I don't care what Scripture you're looking at, Old Testament or New Testament, there's always in the text is either going to give you what your position is or what is your practice. Okay? The Apostle Paul did this in chapter 1. He gave us verses 3 through 14, which in the original text is one sentence. All right? And that is your position. What happens to us too many times is that we know what the practice is, but we don't know what our position is. And one of the amazing things, that's very frustrating. I mean, people want to do the do's and the don'ts, and they don't understand who they are in Christ, and they don't understand what their position is in Christ, and they definitely haven't got a handle on our resources that are in Christ. I've I've given you a quote, and I forgive me, but I can't remember who said it, is that man will only live his life to the size of his God. Okay, so now look around. Tell me what you see. Okay, I mean, we sang that song, Morning Has Broken. First time I heard that song, you know who sang it? Cat Stevens. Okay. Do you know he is a fervent Muslim now? Because he could never see one who was regenerated for Christ. And he was seeking. 
But see, he can get into a religion that has a practice that he has no clue what the position is. And the same thing happened with Gandhi. Gandhi worked in a house of missionaries in North Africa, and he never saw Christ. So he started his own. All right? The problem is we know what we're supposed to do and not do, but we never get a handle on do you understand who you are in Christ? So the Apostle Paul gave us 3 through 14, our position, and then he concludes it with praying that we get a handle on this, that we grab this. That is our practice. I know a lot of people who like to share their faith, and very seldom will they pray for the person they shared their faith with. Paul has given us what our position is and our resources And Paul petitions the one who touches the mind. The one that can convince us of the things that are beyond comprehension. Now get a hold of that. 1 Corinthians 13, he says that you will know the love of Christ that surpasses understanding. Well, how in the heck can I know something if it surpasses understanding? Again, what are your resources? I shared with you last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Only one knows the things of God and the mind of God. And that is the Spirit of God. Paul's prayer is that God may your spirit work on the human spirit to produce the spirit of understanding. So that these people will know what our position is, but these people will also know what our resources are. So the early manuscripts of this letter, the the word Ephesus wasn't in there. If you go read through this letter, there's no specific problem that he's dealing with with the church in Ephesus. So you technically can remove Ephesus and it's anyone that's in the body of Christ. And what he does is give you your position. The first three chapters of this letter is what you are in Christ. But each of them are intermittent because he prays that we'll get a handle on it. What is yours in Christ? We started in Romans 8 this morning dealing with the adoption of sons. The adoption of sons. Under Roman law, there's no rejection of an adoption. In Roman law, the father had the the ability, if he had a child born, if he wanted a child or he didn't want a child, you've heard the thumbs up, thumbs down? Okay, that's where that came from. So if the father at any time says, I don't like this kid, thumbs down. What was really bizarre about it is that if at any time during the life of that child, the father felt like he had shamed the family, thumbs down. Okay? Unless the child was adopted. It was a willful decision on the father's behalf to adopt that child, and he stuck with it. 
All right? That's the terminology used in Romans. We are sons of God. If you're truly saved. That's why I press that. People say, well, you're challenging my salvation? You know what? You should all challenge your salvation at some point or another. Because I cannot imagine anything more horrifying to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and Him say, away from me, I never knew you. Now you think about that. And yet that's what He's going to say. You're either going to hear, well done, true and faithful servant, or hasta la vista, baby. That's not what he's going to say. I said, I never knew you. But we preached in your name. We did miracles in your name. I never knew you. What is ours in Christ? Listen, once you do that, once you understand that, your whole perspective in life will change. It's going to be radical beyond your your comprehension. See, there are three things we need to understand that are complete truths. That's what your outline is. The greatness of God's plan, the greatness of God's power, and the greatness of God's person. You have to understand that. And And it... Paul is saying, oh God... May they know, may they understand the greatness of your plan. Every one of them. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened so that they will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory of his inheritance. That calling was before the world began. Okay? Okay. Then look what he says, the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory. So now he says, I want you to know the calling before the world began. And the hope is when the world has ended. See, that's the whole plan. He gives one sentence that completely summarizes three through 14. One sentence. I pray they will understand the plan. I pray. It is so important. To know who we are and what God has planned and prepared for us all. I see so many weak children of God who have no comprehension who they are in Christ. They have no understanding of what their resources are. And you know what? It scares me. How many people, I, I remember I was talking with Dr. MacArthur, this has been years ago. And we were talking about the second coming, okay? And the catching up of the church, the rapture, okay? We were talking about it. This guy's congregation at that time was a little over 20,000 people. 20,000 people. He's in the L.A. basin, all right? You know, he made a statement to me that probably stunned me more than anything that I've ever heard before. 20,000 people. You can hear his radio show every half hour around the globe. 24 hours a day. 
Now you think about that for a second. He made this statement to me. He says, I don't believe that there's going to be enough of us missing that anyone will notice. Think about that for a second. He has been at one pulpit for 50 years. He said, I don't know if there's going to be enough of true believers that anybody's going to notice that we're gone. I about fell out of my chair. But then, as I said, that was a few years ago. I've had dealings now for years and years and years and years. And I'm thinking, he might be right. He really might be right. It is so important that we know who we are in Christ. It is so important that we know what God has planned for us. It isn't for the preacher. It isn't for the Sunday school teacher. It isn't for the elders. It is for every person that is a son of God. All right, verse 18. That's the introduction. I have one word I want to look at today. Because when I stumbled into it, when I kept looking at it, I've got a, a Greek New Testament. I kept looking at it and I was like, that ain't the word it's supposed to be. Which is really an awkward place when you're interpreting scripture. That's the wrong word, Paul. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your New American Standard translates it heart. Okay. Other translations translate it understanding. Okay. I want your eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. Okay. Now listen, this is excruciatingly critical. This may be the most single critical text that you can ever get a piece of. All right. The word there that in the New American Standard that is heart, and in some translations is understanding, it's a fascinating Greek word. You know what it is? Cardios. Sound familiar? So a good translation is what? Heart. Heart. Cardios. That's the word. Cardios. The eyes of your heart would be enlightened. The source of spiritual enlightenment is God. 15 through 17, Paul is petitioning God. He knows God is the source of this understanding. Okay, the channel, that's the source. The channel of that understanding to every believer is the Holy Spirit. The object... The object of that understanding is the end of verse 17, the knowledge of Him. Alright, the source is God, the channel is the Holy Spirit, the object is the knowledge of Him. Alright? Paul is praying, God, do it through the Holy Spirit that they may have the knowledge of Him. And that you, to use the Corinthian letter, you will know as you are 
known. All right? It will be in our heart, our cardios. It is the heart that we must have understanding. That is our understanding, is our heart. Now then, you read that and there's a part of me just wants to jump up and down and then all of a sudden it dawns on me. There's a problem. Huge problem. Huge problem. I heard, uh, I think it was R.C. Sproul one time says, the toughest 18 inches in the world is between here and here. Okay? You know what I would say? It's impossible. It is impossible for you to take what's up here and put it right here. I say it's impossible. You know why I say that? Paul says, God, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to do that. Okay. Now, here's the biggest problem with this word. Okay. For us, and it's, it's more of a Western culture thing, very prevalent in the United States. The heart always refers to what? Emotions. Okay? That is what our culture says. It's emotions. Listen to our love songs. I don't care what the genre is. You have love songs and they all deal with the heart. Okay? On Valentine's Day, what do they give you? A heart. Unless they don't like you. But normally they'll give you a heart. It's always dealing with the heart in our mindset, our culture, the heart, its feelings. All right? Now then, I'm trying to get this book. I was thinking about David this week. David says he'd gotten me a cup for off of Amazon. So I decided I'd brave the mighty waters of Amazon and order me a book. And after an hour and a half of testing my sanctification, I've decided, no, I don't think God wants me to read that book. What it's called is the Middle Eastern view of Jesus, written by a Jewish um, theologian. And uh, I'm, I'm still I haven't given up yet. Uh, I have gotten the plan B. What I think I'll do is go down to the library and tell them I want that book, and they have to get it for me, and then I'll just go down there and rent it, because I have no idea what the deal is. That was a rabbit's trail. One of the things that I've learned in my life is that you have to, at times, look at the geographical understanding of Scripture. What were they dealing with? We, in America, and the West believe that the heart is the place of our emotions, okay? That's not the way it is in the Middle East. And it's definitely not that way with the Jews, and it's definitely not that way with the ancients, those who were the actual human part of writing of Scripture. And the Jews are definitely, adamantly against that, okay? See, Jews spoke of feelings 
not in the sense of the heart. They used a word called spelinkna, spelinkna, used it a lot. It's all over. You know what it literally translates to? The bow. Woohoo, huh? All excited about that? Splink nut. That's how the Jews would speak of the emotion. Splink nut. And it appears all over the place. Now, why do they say that? Listen. Our Middle Eastern mind always associates feelings with the organs of the gut. Okay? Right? And everybody said they're going, well, that's really weird. No, we're really weird. But see, we think we've got it all figured out. Have you ever heard, I just had a gut feeling? Okay, when you get nervous, you have a upset heart? No, you have an upset stomach. When your gut is where you feel it. Listen, if you feel something in your heart, you usually call 911. Right? Something's going south here. That's the way the Jews and the Hebrews saw it. One of my favorite letters, and it's funny, when Matt Long was here, <laughs> he was one of our elders. <laughs> And we had started reading through the Bible. Okay. This is like our second time through for some of you. But we got <laughs> got ready to. The next book was Song of Solomon. And he came in. And he's got this look on his face. And he says. I don't think I can read this in public. I was like, well, can you read it in private? And he says, yeah. And I said, well, then record it. And we'll just play it. And. <laughs> He, he was in charge of it. And I said, well, if you're uncomfortable, then don't do it. So he never read it. Okay. Now, I think Song of Solomon is eloquent. And now here's my reasoning. I listened to a Jewish rabbi. Okay. Give a teaching on the Song of Solomon. And when I got done with that, I was in awe. Because it is a picture of heaven. When the bride is joined to the bridegroom, who is Jesus Christ. And he says, it was Solomon explaining it. But he was using the terminology that you and I can get to. So, when you read that letter, look at it from that perspective. Okay, I've never understood why we want to use Corinthians 13 for our weddings. And no one ever goes over to Song of Solomon. There's some really cool stuff in there, man. Okay, but they'll go, I was like, you know, Corinthians 13 ain't got nothing to do with marriage, right? And, you know, and I told him that, well, I still want to read it, but yeah, it ain't got nothing to do with marriage. So anyway, when you read the Song of Solomon, you can look at it now from this perspective of splinkna. When the bride and the groom see each other, the splinkna, it says my bowel was moved. Okay, so it takes some of the edginess off of it. <laughs> People don't have to sit there and go, I think that this is borderline dangerous. Not if your bowel is moving. Okay, 
Listen, I want you to think about this for a second. The bride and the bridegroom first see each other. Okay? There's a feeling of anticipation. Right? There is a feeling of excitement. And where is that? Right in the gut. Right in the gut. Hey, listen, you think that that's crazy? Try Psalm 22. Christ is dying on the cross. And guess what? His bow is suffering agony and pain. Okay? Lamentations, chapter 2, verse 11. Jeremiah crying over the destruction of his people, and it hurt his inward guts. See, it is actually used at times to describe the liver. My liver is distressed. Because they understood that's where you feel it. That's where your emotions are. In your guts. That's where it happens. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. See, one who has need, how can you shut up your heart? No, splinkna. How can you shut up your bowel? How can you shut up your guts? Because that is where it is felt. The heart to a Hebrew... To the Middle Eastern, to the ancients, is not a feeling. When he uses cardios here, he's not talking about your emotions. He's talking about thinking. Where do you think? Cardios can be the heart or it can be translated understanding. Both of them are satisfactory. But it ain't got nothing, nothing, nothing to do with emotions. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is out of the abundance of that heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? The heart is the speaking process. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right? So when you start thinking about emotional things, understand that's your guts. I had a gut feeling. The anticipation stirred my guts. It didn't do anything. Your heart to the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament is the place where your thinking processes take place. It's understanding. It's thinking. And you know what? It is throughout Scripture. Now then, I want you to understand something here. There is no emotion here. Please understand this. I'm going to say this as loving as I can say it. There is no emotion here. It is reasoning. It is thinking. It is the will. It is where I make my decisions. 
the organ for comprehension for the believer, that is the thinking process, is not, never has been, never can be emotional. And I know that hurts some people. Because there's people who get emotional about this stuff. But let me tell you something. You have got to have the thinking right. Because if the thinking ain't right, I want to ask you a personal question. Have your emotions ever led you astray? But when you're thinking about it, you're not in danger, are you? I remember, what's that guy's name? Huckabee, Mike Huckabee. Seen him on a show and he was, they were interviewing him together. Okay. And he was sitting down, I don't know, in his office or something like that. And, he, I, and I don't even know what he was talking about. But I happened to look back over his shoulder, his left shoulders, and there was a little plaque, a little plaque like this, and I could, I could read it. You know what it said? Come, let us reason together. Hmm. That's an interesting thought if you think about it. Listen. God is not trying to appeal to the emotions. He is trying to appeal to the mind, to the will, to the thinking process of believers. Okay, are you ready for this? Christianity is not designed for the emotions. It is designed to reason. Listen, emotions are designed to respond to the mind. Got that? Out of my thinking process is where my emotions will show themselves. And yet I look around today and I see people who have all this emotion and they got no thinking process. Go to your average church worship today in Castle Rock. Guess what you're going to see? Guess what you're going to see? Emotion. And it's powerful, but it's useless. When your emotions get in front of your mind, you will run wild. See, listen, any brand of Christianity that appeals on the emotional level and bypasses the mind is doing nothing but asking for trouble. All right. I mean, you go listen to a lot of the stuff that is out there being propagated as, quote unquote, worship, and it's pure emotion. And yet, if you listen to what they're saying, there's nothing there. It is, uh, to use it, an, uh, a Scottish word, it is blather. But they are excited about it. And you're sitting there, but there's nothing there. I had in 1998, 1998, now think about this, this is, this is like four days ago. My calendar's slower than yours. But 
1998, I was in California for what was called the International Conference of the Bible. Uh, Dr. MacArthur had just published his study Bible. The guns were out. I mean, the preaching that was out there was like, by midweek, I'm like, the roof's just going to open and we're all out of here. It's going to be awesome. Because the guys that were preaching were preaching two messages a day. Okay? Uh, Joe Stoll, who's the president of Moody, he was one. David Jeremiah was one. Dr. Stephen Olford was one. Adrian Rogers was one. I mean, the guns were out. And I mean, we're talking heavy artillery. These guys was cranking it up. Okay? Do you know that since that time, I can tell you the text of every one of those pastors, what they taught on from 1998, but one. One I can't tell you. It was hilarious. He's talking about his, <laughs> his wife in the elevator without her makeup, and he didn't know who she was. <laughs> I was like, what? And I was like, that means she's not here, <laughs> if you can say that. That, and he used the illustration from one of the Rocky movies where Rocky got knocked down and that little manager guy who died, whatever his name was, I said, get up, you bum, get up, you bum. That's what I remember about his message. Now, really? Okay? It was hilarious to listen to. But when I get to, I don't know what he said. I can tell you, Joe Stoll <laughs> got in trouble because he was doing Psalm 19. He talked about God made a mistake making camels. And people got mad at him. Yeah, God didn't make no mistake. I was like, you ain't ever smelled one, have you? Because <laughs> I got news for you. <laughs> Them things are some nasty critters. All right? But I can tell you everyone, every text that these guys taught. Adrian Rogers, Galatians 5. Stephen Olford out of Timothy, the role of an elder. And preaching the word in season and out of season. I can tell you that. One guy I couldn't. If I told you his name, you'd know who it is. But it ain't worth it. All right? Because that's the kind of stuff everybody's like, come on, tell us. Come on, tell us, tell us, tell us. All right? <laughs> when you get emotions in front of your mind, your emotions are going to run wild. Okay? And like I said, any brand of Christianity that appeals to the emotional level and bypasses the mind, it's asking for trouble. All right? And just in case you were wondering about it, how about I give you a text to prove what I said? All right? I'll take you back a few years, some of you. 2 Corinthians 6. <laughs> that was a few years ago, wasn't it? Emotions have the capability to respond apart from truth. Okay? Have you ever had something that scared you for no reason? There was nothing there, but it scared me. Okay? Uh, you know, I have seen people who are afraid of snakes, or they're afraid of spiders, or they're afraid of mice. 
And I'm sitting there going, but the truth is, why? Why are you afraid of these things? Okay? But we do that. But see, that is the emotions taking over for what is true. What is it? Is it going to eat you? What's it going to do? Bite your leg off? Well, no, but it's a mouse. It's a mouse. Kick it. Gee whiz. But see, that's what happens when emotion gets ahead of what is true. I used to know a lady who was terrified. I mean, absolutely nuts at a spider. And you're sitting there going, it's a spider. It's not like a big old tarantula with fangs and things. It's just a spider. <laughs> it's a spider. And I mean, she would panic. And I'm sitting there going, mm, emotions versus truth. Because you can take a spider and you go, Dead spider. <laughs> I mean, you see what I'm trying to get at? Now, everybody, I got people in here saying, I'm scared of this mice and snakes and everything. He's just making fun of me. No, I'm trying to say, why don't you get a little truth and figure it out? Okay? I mean, there's things that startle you. I mean, I came up over the hill on the motorcycle last week, and there's a stupid buck deer standing right in the middle of the road like, come on, let's play chicken. And I, this startled me. But then truth said, and I said, you're dead. <laughs> I will take you home and eat you. <laughs> and then it finally realized that I wasn't playing. But, but see, these are the things that I want you to understand. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you remember, the Corinthians were a, a tad bit messed up, to say the least. Okay? Now, remember the words that I've been giving you. Splinkna and cardios. All right. I want to show you something. Verse 11. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians, and our heart is open wide. Okay. What word do you suppose heart is in that verse? Cardios or splinkna? Cardios. Cardios. Now drop down. Verse 13. Now, in like exchange, I speak to you as children. Open wide to us also. What was he wanting open wide? Their emotions? Their thinking. Okay, now then, look at verse 12. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own the word I have here is affections. What's the root word do you think that is? Their emotions. Their emotions were in the way. They couldn't reason with Paul because their emotions were in the way. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody who's very emotional? That just gets a tad bit on the, okay. Where's a good mouse when you can need one? But do you see what I mean? There are times when people get emotional and you're like, this conversation is useless. 
Okay? Now, I'm not saying that to offend anybody. But if I'm dealing with spiritual truth and you got emotions in front of my truth, guess what? You're in a very, very, very dangerous place. Very dangerous. At verse 12, I really like it. I took it back to the original text and it says that uh, <laughs> you have constrained your bowels. <laughs> I was like, huh? That's an interesting concept. Give them some Pepto-Bismol or something. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't Here, take this and then we'll reason together after you're done. Your emotions are in the way. Listening, they were tightening, tightening their emotions that they couldn't hear truth. If you go back and look at 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you're like, Amen. They're the craziest bunch of people I've ever seen in my life. I mean, their worship service was completely chaotic. That even if an unbeliever came in and seen it, he would think they were mad. And Paul is trying to get them to hear what he's saying and use their thinking process, use their will, use their reasoning process instead of their emotions. I see a lot of the experiential churches are that way. They all want signs and wonders. And they're all wanting this stuff to happen. But what I've seen with that is that, okay, let's do some kind of heebie-jeebie thing. And look, wasn't that cool? And that's pretty good till next Sunday. Then what do I have to do? Then what do I have to do? You've got to keep applying to the emotions. And you, you forsake truth. You forsake truth. Paul is telling the Corinthians, your emotions are in the way. I mean, if you look at the original structure of the sins, you're emotionally uptight. You, you, you just, you're, you're letting things that ain't true guide you. Listen, the work of God in the lives of the Corinthians was hindered because they had their emotions in the way of God's truth. Okay, I had this discussion before with numerous different individuals and they asked me, do you believe in the gift of tongues? But of course. Why? Well, that's what it says. I believe in. Well, have you ever? Nope. Never have. Well, we do it on a regular basis. Who interprets? What? Who interprets? Because he says, shut up if you don't have an interpreter. So who interprets? But see, you get into the emotional frenzy of it. Uh, and, and there's a lot of deviant theology that's taught about it. That once you start speaking in tongues, then you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is not biblical. Okay. And so if it's not biblical, if there's only one other source. Just, just an idea. Okay? But see, try that truth and see it to an emotional person. Well, I think you're following the father of lies. You just got taken off my Christmas tree. You see what I'm trying to get at, people? Listen, yes, we have emotions. God made us with emotions. Hey, Jesus standing at the tomb, what did he do? 
He wept. But you know what? He was truth. Okay? The Corinthian church was stymied because their emotion was in the way of truth. Okay? Whenever you put your feelings in front of God's truth, you short-circuit truth. And guess what? It's easy to spot when someone who has done this because their emotions go wild. And you, all of us have seen it. You know, uh, you see it. I remember when my father died and when my stepfather died. Okay? Uh, like it was yesterday. And my mom cried. Okay? Both times she cried. But everybody thought she was cold-hearted. Okay? She cried. She went up to the caskets. She kissed them. She cried. And then that's it. Because truth was her authority. They see Jesus. Yes, I'll miss them. But I rejoice at the time I had. That's truth over your emotions. I know a lady who is in my mom's church. The same thing. Her husband died and she made an altar to him. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute. Well, yeah, I come out and I light a candle for him every day and all the rest. I said, you know, he ain't here, right? Well, but he's in heaven. Well, it ain't like he can look down and say, I wonder what they're doing down there. You can't do that. You can't sell that. Listen, if you can look from heaven and see what's going on on this planet, how is there no sorrow in heaven? No, I can't see. I got news for you. They're not interested. They have a few other odds and ends to take care of than what you're doing. Because they understand when God's timing, they'll see you again. But see, that's truth versus the emotion. And listen, people look, they tell me I'm cold hearted. I'm like, man, you should have seen me before I got saved. All right, but I am not jettisoning truth for emotion. Because I don't know about you, you guys might have been a little better than me. Anytime I let my emotions drive, oh, I was in a ditch quick. Okay, or a telephone pole or something. And so, no, I guard my emotions. I, I don't know what does truth say? Yeah, but you just don't care. Well, I do care. I care so much that I'm going to dampen your emotions so I can give you truth. Then you can decide. Listen, it is always the heart first. Christ was sent to deal with the thinking process, the reasoning process, the will of man. Not the emotions. The eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Paul's prayer. Oh God. May their minds know these things. Where they think. Where they make conscious decisions. May they know them. Listen. When the Holy Spirit works on a believer's mind. He enriches 
or to use Paul's text, enlightens that mind to understand divine truth. That is so deep, that is so profound, that is so overwhelming. And then he takes that massive stuff and relates it to our lives. Okay? Let me close with a a thought. Last week, I gave you Colossians chapter 2, 8 and following. To see that no one takes you captive. Remember that? Philosophy, empty deceit, empty deception, traditions of men, elementary principles of the world. You are made complete. Okay? He, He didn't want you to fall into the wisdom of man. He did not want you to fall into mysticism. He didn't want you to fall into asceticism. And uh, self-abasement. Or the elementary principles of the world. Remember that? Let me give you another one out of Colossians. These things are out there bombarding us. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time someone says, I want to experience Christ, I'd be a very wealthy man. Okay? I I just would. I mean, what do you mean, experience Christ? I mean, you want the hair on the back of your neck to stand up? What are you doing here? Get a liver quiver? What are we trying to do? And that's what it is. Show me a magic trick. Well, you know what? That really didn't work for Jesus, did it? I mean, he could do some things. mm, He just raised the dead. The lame can walk. Blind can see. He walked on water. He could feed a couple of fish and he could feed 5,000. Look, he can feed 4,000. He could do all these things. Guess what? Nobody got it. But in the beginning was the... Word, the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word there in the original language is Logos. You know what we get from that? Logic. That is my logic. You and I think we've got logic. That's funny because we were blind, naked, and depraved until He stepped in. So you ain't got logic. You got emotions. So did he. But he was still truth. So how do I defeat? How can I be on guard? How can I discern this? It's easy. Let the word of Christ. Verse 16, chapter 3 of Colossians. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, And spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know what we do today? We do the singing first and we don't do the word of God. What are you going to do? Stir the emotions. Listen, I grew up with some of the greatest musicians ever. And they were always stirring the emotions. There just wasn't no truth in it. 
but they were good. What's the difference? What's the difference? In the 1960, I think it was 68 or 69, they had a, a conference, international conference of the church. It was in London, England. There's another one of those with the big guns. We're out. But I mean, they had it across the, the, the table uh, of the teachers and the churches that were represented. There were people there like John Stott. There was Jonathan Edwards. There was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones and, and all of these massive, theologically crazy guys. I mean, that's all I can say. I mean, uh, I, they, they were just the brain power that was there is, I don't know, it's, it's just amazing. They concluded the conference. They were trying to prove that regardless of what denomination you were in, when you bring the word to bear, there's absolute unity. And you don't have to manufacture the unity. It is the unity of God through reasoning together from the scriptures. They were concluding the conference, and I can't remember. I, I keep wanting to think it was uh, Dr. Jones. I, I don't remember who it was, but they concluded it with this. Remember what was going on at the end of the 60s? Okay. America, be warned. The British invasion... Is coming to your churches. And you will become obsessed with music. We handled that well, didn't we? we? Handled that well. Why? Listen, I love music. Okay? I do. But when I read this, let the word of Christ Richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Then the Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs show up. Why? Because I have truth to control the emotional side. All right. I, I know a song right now that I, I won't play it at my funeral. Worship. Is the name of it. And every time I hear it, I cry. Every time. And when, if you come to my funeral and you hear it, you're like, well, that don't sound like a funeral song. Just remember where I'm at and where you're at. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because I'm enjoying the song. You guys are sitting there going, that guy was nuts. <laughs> okay? But see, that's the difference. It's truth. It's truth first. Go to the mind first. And then you won't have to guard your bow. How about that? How about that? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, the author and the finisher. Lord, I thank you for this text. I thank you for the amazing things you've shown me. I pray that in my feebleness that my brothers and sisters got something out of this. Father, uh, as I see what Paul prayed for the enlightening of our hearts, I pray for everyone who hears that their hearts would be enlightened, that they'd be overwhelmed 
and the knowledge of you, that, Father, they would understand the greatness of your plan, that, Father, they would understand the greatness of your power, and they would understand your greatness as a person. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen.